Language Talk is a series of podcasts of interest to Kentucky World Language Association members seeking information about important events, initiatives, and professional development opportunities. Each month, we will be talking with people in the know about world languages from across the state. Topics range from collaboration to the program review, from ACTFL news to interviews with master teachers. Language Talk is produced monthly by the Kentucky World Language Association Board and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky. Welcome to Language Talk KWLA. This is your host, Laura Roche Youngworth, and today's topic is overhaul of the program reviews. The implementation of program reviews within all of Kentucky's public schools was a means to give voice to content areas that traditionally are not best assessed through paper pencil assessments areas such as the arts, practical living and vocational studies, and world languages that are performance-based in nature were included within a school's accountability through the rating of their program in four key areas, curriculum and instruction, formative and summative assessments, professional learning, and leadership. However, recent changes adopted by the Kentucky Board of Education have altered the process and the program reviews themselves. Joining me today to discuss these changes are two guests from the Kentucky Department of Education, Kelly Clark and Alfonso de Torres Nunes. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Laura. Good morning. Thank you for being here and agreeing to be on the podcast again. I love having you all in here. And can each of you take a second and introduce yourself and maybe what your role at KDE is? So, uh my name is Alfonso de Torres. I am the World Languages Consultant at the Kentucky Department of Education. And my name is Kelly Clark, and I'm the lead for global competency for the state. Okay, well, thank you both. Let's start with some background information. Why was the program review process changed, and what procedures were followed to do this? Like, how'd that happen? Um, well, we have a new commissioner, Dr. Stephen Pruitt, and when Dr. Pruitt uh, first came to Kentucky um, not even a year ago, um, what he heard, um, actually his first call as commissioner, were um, complaints from superintendents and district personnel, administrators and teachers, that the program review process was um, deeply flawed. Mm. Um, and as you pointed out in the intro, um, the intent of the program review is school-wide, program-wide improvement through using a, um, a program review rubric. Um, what has happened instead is, um, as in with most systems, um, people want to um, prove and maybe uh, do too much to prove that they are doing what they're saying that they're doing mm -hmm. at the school level um, for KDE and the commissioner after his town hall meetings when he when he first got on board all around the state um, decided that program review needed to be overhauled and it needed to happen very quickly and so he formed a task force of um, about 50 people from around the state this would okay. have been at all levels of education who were concerned about the program review and in working with that group KDE personnel and consultants were only facilitators they were not uh, there to act actually help make decisions. So this right. really was a grassroots change coming from the people who have to deal with it um, at the school-wide and district level. In that work group, um, while keeping the basic core of the system that it is school-wide program improvement, um, what the group did was try to streamline the actual process so that people could take the focus off of the gathering of evidence, the uh, draconian rationale writing, um, the, the, we saw roomfuls of evidence and teachers were spending too much time trying to prove that they were doing these programs right. instead of just running the programs and doing the best they could for kids. Right. And so the intent has swung back to the original um, meaning behind program review which is less process more program for kids so um, so that is sort of how the changes came about it came about very quickly in a short amount of time um, and actually this summer we were pushing against deadlines to try to get the rubrics out 
All the five program reviews have been changed. The accountability system is being changed. The way people um, will work with the system has changed. And so all that um, still, some of that process still has to be approved by the board at oh. the October 5th. And we're here on Monday, and October 5th is this week. So we will get final uh, confirmation okay. on some of these issues. So we can't answer everything today since it's Makes before sense. that date. But we will tell you what we do know um, about the changes that have been put into place. And so everything is on the KDE website, on the program review webpage. Um, all the rubrics and assurances are there. So if your listeners have not taken a moment to look at the new rubrics and look at the assurances, then as we discuss them, maybe they can pull them up. Okay, so I just want to emphasize something. The good thing is they're still there. Right. Program reviews are still 23% of accountability. Mm -hmm. It changed a little bit how many of them each year, but they're still there. The commissioner backed that. The board backed that. Mm -hmm. It's not gone. So we just want to clarify, they're not gone. Right. Because that question gets asked over and over. We get that question too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's break down all these changes and start with the process you were referring to. So what's actually different about how the process is going to work this year? And hopefully next, and the next, and the next. Right, which we can't <laughs> say at this <laughs> right. moment, but for 16-17, this is the process. Right. So uh, let's start first with one of the things that we have uh, been able to make in order to facilitate the work of our teachers and administrators. We have created a document that is a crosswalk between the program review 2015 and 16 and the 1617, hmm. precisely to facilitate all that transition from uh, teachers that were used to work with one rubric to another. Okay. This uh, document is something that we have finalized and we will be able to upload it on the KDE website soon. Um, yep. Uh, in, in regard to the main changes, well... Um, Let me, I'm sorry, Alfonso, I'm just yeah. going to stop you. So the crosswalk that he's mentioning mm -hmm. is only for the Global Competency and World Language rubric. Go. So that will be found on the World Languages webpage. Mm -hmm. So in regard to the main changes, uh, it's there are not many changes that you can say at the very beginning. We have the same standards, the four standards, uh, curriculum instruction, formative and summative assessment, professional learning, uh, and administrative support and monitoring. We have the same structure. Uh, there's a standard, there's a demonstrator, there are characteristics, and there is an evaluation. Uh, one of the changes that we have been able to make is that there is no initial question to what extent. Uh, there is no reference to triangulation or evidence anymore. Uh, actually, instead of collecting evidence, it's more about creating action plans about this is what happened, so what's, what is it that you're going to do after this, and what is it that you're going to do with this situation that you have. Um, the evaluation process is going to be a little bit different. It's not anymore about no implementation, needs improvement, proficient or distinguished. It's actually going to be based on not meeting the expectations, meeting the expectations, and exceeding the expectations. And that's going to require a little, uh, that's going to require a mind shift because it's not anymore about the quality of what we have, but it's about going to the roots of the program itself, which was designed to build capacity and start building on those programs. Uh, one of the things that we have found over the state is that uh, with the previous rubric, we have been asking for that quality in the program without even existing one out there. So no wonder why there were many teachers and educators very concerned and very frustrated because they wanted to provide something, but they didn't have the means for that. And when it comes to evaluating the quality, of course they cannot because there's nothing out there. So with the new program review, it, we have found already that there are districts that are moving in that direction in creating opportunity and access to global competency and world languages education to our students both uh, in all the grade levels, K to 12. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is good because once that is already out there, once that we have it all across the board, we will be able to move on to further questions like the quality. What type of quality are we having in these programs? But the very first thing and the most important thing is precisely to build that capacity. And until, and uh, we can engage on those conversations about quality, but until we don't have everyone, else, everyone on, on the same page, 
uh, we are not going to be able to engage on those right. conversations. Let, let me back you up for a second. Um, I guess what I was trying to get from you was the actual process, not the program reviews, but the process for program reviews has changed. And Kelly, you kind of um, made a reference to this. So there's no more rationales that need to be written, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. Can you pull the PowerPoint up? Okay. So um, we've been going around working with um, world language and global competency cadres um, at the co-ops. Mm -hmm. And so I'll just take you through the same process that we're taking them through. So we still have the rubric, and that's where you're going okay. to start. Um, and then looking at the standards, all five program reviews have the four standards that we mentioned, the curriculum instruction and the formative and summative assessment. Those four pieces um, have to be in the program review because those are set by law. Um, and so we look at the standard school-wide over the course of time that a student is in that institution. So for some schools, it may be K-3. For some, it may be K-5. Some, it may be K-8. We have some of those in the state. Mm -hmm. Or 6-8 and 9-12. Then you're going to look at the demonstrator um, and read that and think about the school-wide program as a whole over the course of the year, over the course of the program. So. I'm a middle school teacher, so I'm just going to stick with 6-8 as an example. You're going to look um, at that demonstrator as a whole and then make a decision as to whether or not the school is implement implementing each characteristic while keeping that demonstrator in mind. So when you take a look at the rubric, each, um, each different demonstrator has characteristics listed underneath that. And instead, Alfonso mentioned this, instead of saying to what extent are you meeting those different characteristics, now it's just yes, I am meeting it, or no, I am not meeting it. Okay, so that's changed. So it simplifies the yes whole no. gray area of to what extent. Is okay. it, you know, all, some, many. So we took all that confusing language out of it. Okay. Now, on the, on the rubrics, um, the characteristics have been cut um, for all of them um, in half, if not by more. So um, now each rubric, instead of it taking 60-something pages, if mm -hmm. you print it out, it's now about eight pages for the global competency in world languages. It is eight pages. Okay. Um, so it went from um, 40 different characteristics to 28 characteristics. And on the old one, you used to have to write a rationale for each one. You don't right. do that. Now, so right. the, the new process, the new process, um, you're, you're saying yes or no for each characteristic. Mm -hmm. In that process, can you pull the next slide up? Um, in that process of looking at um, whether you're not meeting, meeting, or exceeding, there in the rubric is a list of numbers of characteristics, and this is also different. Mm -hmm. So for not meeting expectations, it'll say zero to however many characteristics. Um, and so that's what you would check if you just are not able to say that you're meeting more than one of the characteristics listed above. So it's become more analytical. It has. Okay. It's become a lot more straightforward. On the meeting expectation, that is the sweet spot. That's where we want everybody to live. That's the new proficient. Okay. And underneath the meeting expectation for each demonstrator, they're going to have a list of characteristics that you have to have. Those are the non-negotiable characteristics. So in the example that we're looking at now, this is... Um, Writing. Okay, this is just a writing example, but it says must include A, characteristic A, and B. So if you don't have B, you drop down to not, to meeting. not meeting. Right, okay. and so it, it becomes very straightforward because you just look at and you have to discuss characteristic by characteristic mm -hmm. as a school in those conversations about what is happening at the school level. Um, and so if you have characteristic on this example, there are four, A, B, C, and D. And if you have C and D, you have to check not meeting. Okay. You have to meet the characteristics that are the non-negotiables in order to meet expectations. And anything above that means that you're exceeding. But to be exceeding, you have to meet all of them. Um, in all, in all okay. the rubrics, that is the case. And so there, some of them might have seven. Okay. Um, some might say seven for elementary and middle and an additional one right. for high school. There are some expectations for high school that do not exist for the other lower schools. So um, it'll say however many characteristics. And then some might say um, eight for high school. 
Um, and so this, the language of the entire rubric has been cleaned up. The characteristics, they've gone from these highly complex, run-on compound sentences right. with loads of prepositions, right. and, and, and. Um, and that's all been taken out, and they, they've ended up as very simple sentences. Um, the difficult language that we had put in there that tended to confuse people, the work groups did a lot of work in trying to yeah. clean up and clarify what was needed. Now, so I'm looking at this through a school's eyes, and I'm going through here. Schools still have to gather evidence. You still have to know. You can't just sit back in your classroom and go, well, I think. I mean, right. And, and so best practice of the program reviews remains the same. In order to actually say, I am meeting this characteristic or I am not meeting this characteristic cannot be the sole purpose for one person sitting in an office not having those conversations at a school-wide level. So okay. we still recommend that teachers work in groups to have conversations around every characteristic. And as part of those conversations, they're going to generate and I'm going to call it evidence, but I'm not talking about the old KDE, quote unquote, required evidence. Okay. It's a documentation of discussions around which programs um, and events that are occurring across the school are um, reassuring a school that they are actually meeting or not meeting. I love what you just said, reassuring a school. So it's not like we have to have our room set up with all the, the evidence, evidence room, right? But there's a reassurance that yes, we're meeting that characteristic. And yes, that, we're and meeting that. And that's precisely one. what we want to avoid. We want we want to prevent people producing evidence exclusively for this for or that. Uh, when you go visit when you go observe a teacher you're going to see those best practices just right there without mm -hmm. that person how to produce something. You're going to see that posted on the wall. You're going to see something on the on the, uh, on the the smart board. You're going to see do those things on the practices. So it's, it's more a natural approach and letting the teacher do what they are best in doing, which is teaching. Right. That's on one end, you know. So another thing, so just, and I keep on clarifying. That's fine. Keep doing that. there's tons of questions, you know, people are asking We like this. probing for specificity. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when a district does put in the scores, it's just a yes or no. There's no uploading of anything else except for what? So in order to reduce the amount of paperwork that schools are having to do, there are going to be um, two focus program reviews per year, and those would flip. Mm -hmm. That's where your 23% comes from. Okay. So this year, 16-17, the two focus program reviews are uh, Visual and Performing Arts, which is VPA is the new name for the Arts okay. and Humanities, for those of you who aren't aware that it changed. And then um, it is living. Practical Living yeah, and sure. Consumer Science. So each one of those is 11.5%. So as we've gone around the state and people have said, well, then we don't have to do writing. Or, we don't have to do world language. Problem. We don't have to do the global competency one. Yes, you do, because the, the school, the principal, and the site-based at every school has to complete an assurance statement. Okay, we're going to get into that in one second. I want to backtrack on you. Before you get to the assurance statement, um, do you have to have a work plan? So in the two focus mm -hmm. ones that are being entered, instead of listing evidence that has gone away, and instead of having to write a rationale, that has gone away. And the two areas that you score lowest in, whichever demonstrators that are your low scorers, those will be the two areas that you're going to write an action plan an for. An action plan. How long is this action plan? It's going to be um, constricted to about 500 words or less. Yeah. Um, we saw insane examples of rationales that were one person just put in a not applicable mm -hmm. and other people wrote a 73 page rationale wow yeah. so or some other people just write in a please see evidence right see evidence list so the idea of the rationale wasn't really um, right so the the action plan is what is going to help schools make that transition from i'm not meeting in this area 
what are my next steps and what are we as a school going to do to intentionally move this program forward I next love that. year? I love it. And so it becomes a proactive. So that plus the conversations, you're keeping evidence of those conversations as documentation about what's going on now. And then the action plans are what next steps we're going to take. And these pieces are really valuable, not for KDE to gather um, in, and look in and see what every school has done. If you've ever had a change of leadership at school, either through a program review lead, a key teacher, a principal, a superintendent, these kind of discussions and keeping track of what's being said and what is to be happening around the school is a perfect thing to hand somebody new coming in right. to say, this is what we've been doing and this is where our thinking is around where we want to go next. I love it. Love it. And so it becomes an actual tool for school improvement, which is the actual intent of the program review. That's why we were saying before, it's not anymore about the justification of what you are doing. It's about thinking proactively, these are my circumstances, mm -hmm. whether I'm here or there, but this is what we have to deal with. This is what we are working with. What are we going to do in order to move to the next level? What are we going to do in order to meet the expectation? And that is exactly where uh, this tool is going to facilitate these conversations. Well, I like it because before the program review was very micromanaged in my mind. It was. Mm -hmm. I have no better way to say it other than um, that. Now it's... it's it it was a very, very small grain size that was very prescriptive. Yes. And that really wasn't working for a lot of schools who, as Alfonso said, simply didn't even know where to start. Right. Teachers have described it as we were being told how to teach. So that that's probably the best description of what mm -hmm. that micromanaging idea. And the commissioner heard that and said, we can't do that. We're a local control. So the, the program review needs to become the tool that drives program improvement without being so prescriptive. So the language is generalized. A lot of the very specific, and I know I, I can hear cheers across the radio right now, um, <laughs> that words like um, you must teach the target language 90% of the time. Mm -hmm that phrase is gone and because people didn't know how to measure it. Yeah. They didn't know, I mean, do I have to have a stopwatch? Do uh, I have yeah. every time the kids talk? I mean, so right. people were driving themselves crazy trying to meet that. And instead, uh, the actual uh, characteristics says, actually, Alfonso's pulling it up, but is I'm going to just... Students use the language? Students use the language with increasing um, frequency and proficiency over the course of a year. Mm -hmm. And so that takes you from wherever you are if you don't have a dedicated world language teacher, and we know there are a lot of people out there who don't, then um, you can start with the KET world language toolkits and make plans to try to have uh, language teachers come in and work with you right. in the future, but not everybody can start there. So it, we go from good, better, best. It's about building quality into your program like over it. time. And think as well about this. As of right now, due to this teacher shortage, due to the lack of funding, due to the different circumstances, one of uh, the reason where we are right now in our uh, world languages programs in the state is precisely because we don't have those resources at, at our hands. So one of the biggest things of these changes is precisely is allowing the people to buy in allowing the people to buy in, to create capacity, to build capacity, which goes to the spirit of the, of the tool itself. And on the way, focusing later on on those qualities, for which we have been spending the last year, year and a half, building support system, uh, resources around, so that if you are this school that would like to offer this type of education, but you are in this specific case that either you don't have the money or you don't find the teacher, or you, we have provided those type of support systems so that you can start this. Right. And instead of just saying, well, I don't have the money, instead of just, instead of just letting yourself be stopped by that difficulty, Let's try to think about what can we do to offer that, whether it's with the KT World Languages Toolkit, which is for free and available through the KT website, whether it's through uh, international programs, whether it's uh, through programs that allow bringing native speakers to the schools. So we are creating Virtual this. exchange programs. Mm -hmm, virtual exchange programs. So we are creating support systems around. So this can actually be 
creating and building our schools and we can move forward. Well, I have a question just from what you all said, and I, I, I hope you all can answer, and if you can't, understand. Okay, this is really interesting. Only two program reviews are going to make the 23%. Mm-hmm. So now the two program reviews that are up this year became more powerful instead of there being, let's say, maybe four for a school. That's middle school through high school. They're more powerful in their weight. And I never thought to ask, how is the score tabulated? From the 23%? Yeah. Well, the assurances don't carry any accountability point value, Correct. positive or negative. So how does the program review, so let's say, you know, Arts and Humanities, VPA is up this year. How do they figure out the 11.5% what that is? That's a, a more technical math-related uh-huh. uh, question that's uh, going to have to be answered by OAA. Has so it been decided yet, or is it still being We're waiting on? on a lot of the final pieces okay. on how the points are added up, mm-hmm. um, what the point values are going to be, even to what it's going to look like in assist. Okay. We don't have those answers, and that's what's going to happen at the October board Good. meeting. Good. Okay, so, so we need to stay We're waiting for that. for that. Yes. Listen, everyone listen it, to the October 5th board me. meeting. We it's, keep on um, talking about Those 23%. are the final pieces that have to be decided. Okay. So mm-hmm. that's a great question, and I wish we could answer that, and we can't. Yeah, that's so. fine. Well, I want to now go to something you mentioned, and you say, you keep saying this word, assurances. And okay. like I used to be in the GT world, and assurances is, is what GT lives on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like soft laws is how I always like to okay. describe them to faculty members. So explain to us what this assurances looks like, what role it plays, and so on. Okay. So the assurances are, and they're already on the program review webpage of the KDE website, so you can take a look at them. They're very short statements, and we're going to get the global competency assurance up here in a second. And I'll, I'll are they all on one page? Or? Um, they're, they're separate pages. There's different assurances. So I the, meant one document. Oh, one document, um, right? Right now, I think they're separate documents, but they're very short. All they have is this very brief statement of very key factors that in order for this in order for the school and district to assure us that it's happening um, then um, they're just going to sign off that these things um, are occurring and so the principal and the site-based would sign one set of assurances and then the superintendent signs an assurance for every program review for the entire district. So the superintendents are only gonna sign five, one for each of the program review areas, and the uh, principal and superintendent are going to be signing five for each school. Um, So the assurances, very brief statements, you can pull it up online, pull it up online. Um, so we're going to get the global one pulled up here so we can talk about that three, one specifically. Three for global competency world language and the third one. And they're very big and they're very broad. But what the assurances, the power of the assurances, although there's no point value attached, is that these are public documents. Oh. These are going to be made public. And again, we're not sure where that, whether that's going to be a tab on the school um on this, the school report cards, uh-huh. um, that's been discussed, or it might be put through a different system. But it is what it, it what the title says it is. It is assuring the public that these programs are being run um, to the best of the school's ability every year, whether it is a focus program review or not. Okay, you can't stop writing. And working on global competency and world language just because they're not the focus points for that year. Right. Um, And if, let's say, a principal is sitting down with the committee or however they're going to structure that at Mm -hmm. their school. And every district's different how they structure that. And they're going through and they realize, well, assurance number two for global competency world language isn't Mm -hmm. happening in our school. What do they do? Okay. So it's a checkbox. And so if you can't check uh, with any – if you've had those discussions at your school – and you just can't bring yourself to check that box. So let's go over what they say. The program assurance for global competency says, the first one is teachers instructing in the areas of world languages at the high school level. So this is where there is course credit given, which in some cases could be middle school, but they're getting high school credit for it. 
teachers are certified in the area they are instructing. So let's say a high school has, um, I'm just, you know, sure. guessing, just make a Latin a, teacher. Uh-huh. And that Latin teacher actually isn't certified to teach Latin, but somehow is teaching that class. They cannot check yes for that. They can't check yes. There's no okay. punitive effect of that. Okay. They just don't check it. And they do have to write an explanation. If and underneath no, it says right. areas that you can't check, please just write why you can't do that. And, and what you would say is we have three Latin teachers in the school and they are not certified. Next year we will be working on getting certified Wonderful. teachers or they're working on their certification now or whatever the case may be. So let's go back to the actual assurance. Number two, participation in one course does not prevent students from having an opportunity to participate in world language courses. So what do you mean by that? So this came up um, um, This came up out of experience. Sort of an audit, actually. Uh, we, when we go to audits, uh, we have to interview as well as students in order to triangulate our um, report. So we, unfortunately, we found students that were telling us that because they were going to ban, for example, they were not allowed to go to World Languages class. So they only had one elective spot? Right, which is mm. common in yeah. a lot of our middle schools. But because the, ten, the four pillars of program review are opportunity and access, natural integration, mm -hmm. uh, student demonstration, and high-quality programs, that opportunity and access has really risen to the top of the pile as far as what we're thinking of for this year and the revised overhauled program reviews. So in elementary and middle school, kids don't get to make choices so much about the content that they, that they are taking. And so it's an exploratory time for children. And so having kids, if you take, if you take a band and it's a year-long course and that automatically eliminates you from ever having any exposure, 6-8, to a world language, then they're not getting the access or the opportunity. Well, well what if the school does offer level one at the middle school and, and a kid has to make a choice? Do you want to do band or world language? In middle school, these are times where they get exposed to different things. We expect by the time they reach high school, if you're offering a course, and unless you're intentionally setting it across from something else required, like U.S. history or, or biology or algebra two or English two, something that the EOCs are based in, and kids simply, I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna default to the core where they have a test. Um, Kids in high school are more equipped to make better decisions about what they want to start specializing in and focusing on. It could be art, it could be band, maybe it's world language, but kids in middle school don't really know enough about hmm. those areas to make an informed choice that I wanna spend a quarter of my day focusing on arts and humanities this rather than... This is really interesting, Kelly, because um, like I was at a middle school that is kind of known for having a lot of opportunities for elective courses, and, and we distinguish between elective and exploratory mm -hmm. and within that situation. And the kids had the opportunity to take two courses, whether they be exploratory, elective, in nature, two slots, and the kids with their parents were in charge of choosing, were given the right to choose. Okay, do I want to take band in a world language? Check the box. Do I want to take orchestra in a world language? Check the box. Do I not want to take world language and take to exploratory? So they were given the right. So from what I'm hearing you say and what I'm seeing on here, it's kind of being pushed that it's mandated. That all kids have a chance to, to, to at least uh, access that. Now, it's not going to be all year long. Let's go back to our middle school example. So you came from a very rich and diverse middle school where they had lots of opportunities and access to take different things. There are uh, middle schools where if you choose this, you simply can't do anything else. And so what we're asking is for kids to just have the opportunity, not a full class perhaps, Every year, sixth, seventh, so that means and eighth, it has to be mandated on them. 
Well, we mandate writing, too, because we expect all kids to be able to communicate well when they graduate. And if we want kids to actually be competitive in the workforce, they need some access and exposure to these concepts of global competency Mm -hmm. and world language to make them competitive. Because I'm seeing here, see, I'm going to interpret it differently, and I'm just pointing this out because every school, every print, you know how you read every word. So it says participation in one course does not prevent students from having an opportunity to participate in more language courses. Well, at the school I was at, you had two choices. You could, you had two slots. They could take world language and something mm-hmm. else. Yeah, right. so would that be okay in that choice? Yes, and but the schools where if you were taking world language, I'm sorry, if you were taking band mm-hmm. and it was a year-long course, which a lot of them are, it excluded them automatically from ever being able to take a language. Those are the kind of schedule shifts and master schedule shifts and changes in thinking that we need to work on. And a lot of schools, in order to incorporate world language, they're starting with a zero-hour or after-school club. That doesn't offer all kids access and opportunity mm-hmm. for participation in that. And I think Alfonso's talked about building the quality of the programs. That's why one of the resources or one of the things that we are working on as well, as we are, uh, as we are calling to all the school districts in the state and at the same time as we are uh, creating these regional cadres, is that we are having really quality conversations with administrators and supervisors that are willing to share how they have been able to do these things. So that, for example, if we have a school in Fort Thomas that is able to do this, providing opportunity and access Mm -hmm. to this in a way that can be related to which one school can relate, good, we have one model. But what if we have one school that cannot relate to that? We can also offer another connection. We can also offer another model to that school to say, hey, go check over here so that they can, so that you can see how they are able to do it. So right. we are creating little models out there with which we can connect people so that they can see how things can be done. Because what is going to, what this is going to require is going to be a very big conversation about the master schedule. And I would like to quote one of our colleagues. There are not going to be sacred cows. There are not going to be sacred cows in the master schedule. We have to provide opportunity and access, which leads me to what I wanted to say before. And here we are talking about two different things. The opportunity is building that in the schedule so that the students can have the, can have the opportunity to go, whether they go to ban or not. So it's not about exclusion. It's, it's having that opportunity. The access is later on, once that you have the opportunity, what type of access are you having? Are you going to offer only after school or in the zero hour? Is that going to provide okay. access to all the students? Right. So it's going to be, it's going to require a little mind shift in regard to uh, there's not an ABCD master schedule. There are many ways to do it. Right. right. And I, I would hope the goal is never exploratory for world languages because you an exploratory, you know, that's kind of, in my mind, that's a dirty term. It's a term we're trying to move away from because exploratory does not usually lead to that proficiency level learning. And so we, even if it's elementary, it should never be exploratory. It should be proficiency However, we have lots of schools in the state that this is where they're starting. And so again, it's that good, better, best. Is it it better to have kids at least get the chance to even learn what some different languages are, Mm -hmm. even though all 900 at a school with no world language teacher, this is what they can do right now, and later build into their school schedule a world language teacher, a full-time program. Let's clarify for listeners because we need to make sure we're pushing for the right thing. So even if an elementary has a baby step, we'll call it baby step program, they're building baby steps towards a more full-fledged program. Within that time allotted to the world languages, it should be aligned to the standards. It Mm -hmm. should be trying to achieve a proficiency level goal. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that's why I'm not going to call them exploratory. Okay. Because exploratory is let's learn colors. That's kind of a hot button word for you guys. It's it's a big word for us. I will try not to say that word anymore. That's (laughs) one of the great things that we are building in regard to capacity. It's what we're trying to tear down. With our regional Mm -hmm. cadres. When we go to these regional cadres all across the state, we are connecting 
in the non-traditional world languages teachers that have been bestowed the responsibility of doing this. We are connecting them to uh, teachers that are teaching towards proficiency. We are connecting them to best practices. Right. We are facilitating conversations as to how this is done. And even in the in those support systems that we have created, like the Katie World Languages Toolkit, uh, Katie has actually gathered together a few teachers that are creating a guide in order to show those non-traditional world language teachers to guide them how to provide that type of right. instruction. Right. So you see, it's a building capacity, but mm -hmm. at the same time, moving them in the direction that right. we need to. So it's right. not just exploratory, but it's aligned to the standards, proficiency-based, uh, performance-based as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, Kelly, the third assurance, I think, is your domain, isn't it? Okay. So the sh third assurance is... Schools uphold the KBE's commitment to making global readiness an explicit part of existing college and career ready agenda. And so that's why I kind of, um, people couldn't see this, but I bristled a little bit when you said mandated because yeah. the state has actually, the, the Kentucky Board of Education um, put forward a, a, a commitment, um, a policy statement that said that this is part of college and career readiness. This is not something is extra. Beautiful. We have always mm -hmm. done 21st century skills. Global readiness is the new um, term to kind of fit all the 21st century skills, media literacy, um, digital technologies, all the things that kids nice. need to do. And, and they need to know um, about the world around them and be able to meet that kind of intercultural language piece in order to be um, globally uh, competitive. Now, the two boxes are, um, and we get a lot of kickback on this, um, ensuring all students are globally prepared to support communities mm -hmm. and companies. So we've had uh, district administrators and sometimes superintendents say, are you telling me a kindergartner is ready to support their community? No, we don't want to put kindergartners to work right away, <laughs> unless they're working for you at home. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's something you have to come to terms with yourself. But um, it is about readying students, not just in one year or not just in one course. It has to be K-12, and it has to be intentional. Our draft social studies standards support global competencies and are a very nice pairing. So if you have not looked at those draft social studies standards, they're on the social studies webpage, the KDE website. They have not been approved yet, but it's where we're moving. Okay all the standards, the Kentucky academic standards from math to ELA, every content area build in the 21st century skills. They're already hardwired into the standards, so you don't have to look very far to meet those global global supports. It's about being intentional about starting local, having kids culturally responsive teaching, having kids understand their own cultures at a very early age so that they can then feel comfortable um, looking at what's around them and then looking further and further afield. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a hard question, and again, if you don't have an answer, but I know you will. Um, little, the first two assurances are easy. You know, okay, let's just look at the certification of our teachers. Mm -hmm. Check. The second one, master schedule would prove that. Pretty much, yes. Check. Yes. The third one's really, that's complex. So how, it wh is. what does an administrator need in front of him or her to really know and feel secure in checking that box? Do you have any, you know, suggestions for that? I'll walk through. We've got, um, right now, we've got one set of tools and another one's going to be coming on the Global Competency webpage within uh, probably the next month. Uh -huh. um, I'm taking it around to the cadres right now and fine-tuning it as a protocol. But what we have is administrator walkthrough tools. So Perfect. Alfonso has Perfect. two on the world languages. They're slightly different, two different walkthrough tools for administrators that are not comfortable um, looking at the world languages classroom and seeing are the standards aligned um, you know are is the classroom pedagogy and protocol are they using uh, is it language? is it target language is it best practices in the classroom mm -hmm. because they're just not aware of that um, and so I'm creating global walkthrough tools as well they're fairly broad mm -hmm. but they do list 
the four global competencies from the Ed Steps uh, global okay. competencies matrices, and so they're aligned with our thinking at the state level about what global competency so is. So if this is integrated within what administrators do, mm-hmm. and throughout the year they use them mm-hmm. to, and within different classes, mm-hmm. not just one content area, social right. studies, right, across the board, right, all that content would be areas. great evidence for, and I hate to use the word evidence, right. but great data for them to say yes to that box. Right. That's the word data, documentation. Documentation. And it it would also show um, the intentionality with which, I mean, lesson plans from teachers would also show whether they're integrating things like this. Um, But because demonstrating skills is such a key part of Uh program review, so in world language, you have proficiency targets that you're trying to meet. Global competency doesn't have standards. It's a skill set. It's like when we teach character ed. We don't have a standard for how good a person you're going to be. That's a good example to compare Okay, to. but what we want is to grow those skills. So I'm going to go back to middle school because that's where I'm comfortable as a middle school teacher. And when I had kids coming in in sixth grade, I had to teach them intentionally the skills of working in a collaborative group together mm-hmm. so that everyone would get the most out of that time and that they could move their learning forward. Okay. Global competency is in a very similar situation. We have to teach kids how to investigate the world and be able to weigh perspectives in a way that is both open-minded and resourceful and teach them how to do that and to compare and contrast across cultures and understand interconnectedness. And if we start in kindergarten with that idea, can you imagine how fantastic kids would be in high school really taking action with their ideas because they're the ones that are going to be living in the world and changing it. And so if they don't have those skills, how are we equipping them for the future? Okay. I like how you explain that. Including world languages because you will have to communicate all those ideas as well. So Right. Sorry. Okay. So the assurances is going to be signed. It's it's passed on to district somehow. Right. It's there. being made public in some form, and we're okay. just not sure how that final form will look. All right. So we're going to move on, and um, we're going to switch gears a little bit. And Alfonso, earlier you kind of started to get into this, and I stopped you. I apologize. But let's look at the Global Competency World Language Program Review itself. Okay. And, you know, we, we haven't gone through a round of um, using it yet, so I'm kind of going to defer to your all's expertise and all the questions you're getting but you described the format of it, so we don't need to do that. But can you maybe go through standard by standard and maybe point out the areas you're getting questions about or you just want to, you're worried, <laughs> you know, maybe someone won't think this through. And then I'm just going to leave it in your hand and flow through it however this you feel general. best. Go page by page. So uh, let's start. Let's go by standards, okay, that's and fine. then by demonstrators, and that way you're gonna Perfect. it's gonna be a easy description because this is the way actually that our teachers have done in the cadres. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in standard one, where it says curriculum instruction, we have before four demonstrators that were student access, align a curri- and rigorous curriculum, instructional strategies, and a student performance. With the new one, we have dropped the instructional strategies and we have kept it only in the student access, aligned and rigorous curriculum, and the student performance. And the reason why is because with the instructional strategies, many, much of the feedback that we have received about that is that we were telling teachers how to teach. So what we have done is pretty much spread all those characteristics across the other other, uh, demonstrators and those things like, for example, the 90% target language, those are things that are going to become best practices that later on will help you get to the exceeding expectation categories. But at least we are not telling teachers this is how you need to right. teach. You know, but these are this is the main skeleton, which is the 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 alignment to the standards, the access, the opportunity and access, the 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 student performance, the feedback as well that that is still in there. Demonstrator two, aligning rigorous curriculum. We have uh, it was before curriculum focus, 21st century skills, and integration of other disciplines, and now we have turned it into alignment, curriculum review and revision, and teacher collaboration. And what's it aligned to? To the Kentucky Standard for World Languages Proficiency. Okay. And as you may see, the 21st century skills characteristic is not there anymore because, Kelly, 
because it's already embedded in all the other Kentucky academic standards. You have that memorized. I love I that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the integration of other disciplines, uh, our colleague, Dr. Kyle Lee, who is one of the persons that is doing all these uh, statewide sessions, training sessions with uh, Jamie Barden, he always will say about this, it's about natural connections. We cannot Not force, force those yeah. connections. It's about natural connections where both content areas can actually in, be intertwined, you know. And then in Demonstrator 4, which is, uh, which before we had the student growth on the language, the student growth on the interculturality and the use of the language, we have kept it into a student demonstrating growth in the language, a student using the target language, both inside and outside the classroom, and the students learning and building on global and intercultural competencies. Both competencies, because the intercultural, as we all know, is the use of the language within the culture, and global competency is what Kelly was mentioning before. Okay? That's about demonstrator one. Now, about demonstrator two, uh, excuse me, about the standard two, which is formative and summative assessment, we had before uh, three demonstrators based on variety of assessment, expectations for student learning, and assessment of and um, for learning. Uh, we have put together all the characteristics into only one demonstrator, which is called assessments and expectations for student learning. And we have pretty much a streamlined on that. And uh, one of the biggest pieces that our teachers have told us as a feedback in the in the field is precisely that we have been able to keep the feedback and also we have been able to provide it relevance in regard to making the instruction in a way that teachers become facilitators and students become independent learners okay helping the teachers creating those goals which as you all know this goes connected to the lingua folio which is those students becoming independent learners, setting their own goals in order to continue walking that path towards proficiency. Uh, about, demonstrator th about demonstrator three, excuse me, sta standard three, which is professional learning, it was divided before be in between opportunity and participation. Now there's only one demonstrator, which is opportunity and participation. We have put them all together, and out of eight characteristics, we have made it only four. Now, you will see in this standard, together with the standard number four, that this is the same across all, all five, the five program, program reviews. reviews. Okay. So professional learning and administrative support are the same language across all five. Where. Um, schools have to pay attention is if you're doing um, professional learning for your teachers around writing, that needs to be mentioned in the writing program review in your discussions. And if you're doing professional learning around global competencies or world language for your teachers, that would be the focus for the um, for that particular program review. And, and while I'm talking, I'm just going to leap in. When Alfonso says we have changed uh, on the program review, it was really the task force that Sorry, made these the changes. So right. I just wanted to clarify that. that well, that's a good clarification because I'm yeah. going to ask a question, and I think this is very interesting. Okay. Um, you know how I like to ask my questions. Hold on, Alfonso. I'm okay. gonna, I found it very interesting on this one. Um, I don't know how else to say it. Leadership gets off the hook. So they don't need to know about world languages or global competency. Uh, you only need to do that to be exceeding. And I think that was very interesting. And it kind of puts it in perspective when you just said the task force made these changes. The task force, which was made up of teachers and mm -hmm. site-based members, yeah. parents and community mm -hmm. members. Um, but I think they, the leadership stays on the hook with the assurances. Hmm. So it's it's a shifting of um, no. I meant personal professional growth of the leaders of the leaders does not have to yes. Be and, and here's where some of I that meant. we had some people on the task force who were from small independent districts, mm -hmm. and they don't wear a few hats. They oh, wear yeah. sure. all the hats. Sure, sure. And they literally said, "We can't possibly um, 
be in charge and do all five program reviews mm-hmm. for all elementary, middle, and high. Um, you know, somewhere we're going to have to, it's going to have to Well, that makes give. sense then. And so I think part of it was just what is possible for mm-hmm. schools. And, and I think they found some of that. And that's part of that streamlining of the process. How can we still ma- hold schools accountable for what's going on? Of course, leadership's the top of that food chain um, without prescribing exactly what that leader has to do. And good that answer, was, Kelly. That really was exactly answer. what I was about to say about the standard four. And if you see it, it's very much cut and dry. And it's, it, it goes precisely about providing the structure that will support the creation of these programs, the, sustain, the sustainability of these programs, which is precisely about protecting a regular time, opportunities mm-hmm. for teachers to participate in the budget, equitable planning time and travel time, access to appropriate facilities and resources, uh, decisions based on student needs, schools, parent and community involved in making decisions, and establishment of guidelines or policy for student-teacher international travel. Uh, This is one of the demonstrators where we have that extra characteristic for high school only, which is the establishment of a policy that determines credit and place uh, based on language proficiency or performance task. Okay. Right, so we have gotten some questions and comments um, around this particular um, this particular characteristic. Okay. Um, you know, they're like, well, what does that guideline or policy look like? Um, it's going to look different for every school, and I know people cringe when I say things like that. It's a very gray area. However, if you have... Um, kids who are going off and doing international travel, if they are going to Concordia language learning village Mm -hmm. in the summer, or they have family in Mexico and they're traveling every summer and they're gaining proficiency through those events, how are they getting recognized or are they getting recognized at the school level for um, working on their competencies and their language proficiency in other settings outside of the four walls and eight to four of a school day. And so the policies might be an extension of Mm -hmm. field trip policies. And is there even a tool to check on that available for the students? Is there an expectation at the school level that students would come back and share and advocate for what they're doing with their classmates or the school at large. And so we're asking schools to actually look at ways that they're boxing learning into the regular school day and ways of opening that up so that kids can actually... That's great what you just said, boxing learning in within the school day. I love it. Right. We we have kids that are actually, they do a tremendous amount of work outside of school on things that they love. Um, And it doesn't... For, for interculturality and global competency, it doesn't have to be leaving the United States. Now, you can go to the south side of Chicago or Appalachia and get a totally different cultural right. experience. And looking at this, you know, I'm thinking high school, and I know a lot of high schools, it's not hard for them to place kids appropriately. You know, the teacher can, whether it's a formal process mm-hmm. or informal, but they can have a conversation with this kid and go, oh, no, you need to skip level one. Let's mm-hmm. get you on into level two or level three or whatever. Right. The challenging part for high schools, I think, would be more the credit to go back and give a kid an actual credit. Right. And I think we're talking about performance-based credit. And so if you don't even have a performance-based credit policy on your books, we need to look at that because there are school systems where it is straight Carnegie seat time. And, um, you know, if you've got a kid who comes in um, speaking a language (laughs) proficiently and they don't even have the opportunity to test out and go into a class that Mm -hmm. actually challenges them, that's a waste of that student's talents. It totally is. And time for them to have to take something. The other issue we get with this is if you're having students place out of things and you're a school system that only has Spanish 1 and 2 and that's all you can provide for kids, opening up that opportunity and access for working with a local um, or regional um, college or university mm-hmm. and or having online courses or AP online or having those opportunities. And a lot of schools haven't quite taken that leap to offering things outside that, that school building. Okay. So it, a lot of learning is changing all over. And so this is part of the movement to accept different types of learning to differentiate for students That's who great. need it. 
It's, it's, it's precisely acknowledging that our kiddos today, uh, we, we cannot teach our kiddos anymore just in the former classroom setting. Our kiddos go outside of our classroom, they learn in so many ways, and we have to we have create, to meet that demand. Exactly. We have to create some kind of support system or something that can recognize that. You know, precisely because if our goal is to create, to produce students that are ready for this global uh, environment that we are living here in Kentucky, we need to recognize as well the way in which these students are learning. Right. Well, I appreciate your all's time. And um, I will commend you, and, and Kelly, you're not a world language teacher, but boy, you've picked up the language quickly. <laughs> Kudos to you. But um, My interculturality skills wow, are pretty good. Wow, <laughs> I'm kind of actually really impressed. Um, but I thank need you. language help. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. Your dedication uh, to districts and schools has been phenomenal. You all have done webinars. You're doing the regional cadres, web mail, uh, emails. And Kelly, I get your listserv messages all the time. I'm like, good gosh. Right. You know. Laura, tell them how to find that listserv. Uh, well, I don't know how I did okay. it. Okay, so I, you I'm uh, on it. You go to the Global Competency or World Language webpage on the KDE website. Is that where it was? And um, there's a, a little paragraph that tells you how to sign up. And that's where I push out a lot of grant opportunities. And you sure do. Things that are happening around the state that you or your kids can be part of. And um, we hope that everyone signs up. And if you get tired of hearing from me, you can always unsubscribe. So it's free. Um, and don't you all have a, um, another form of support? We have also the Kentucky Teacher Newsletter, our Global Competency and World Languages Newsletter, where we provide information about things that teachers are doing in the classroom, conferences, opportunities, grants, also announcements like Kentucky Teacher of the Year or KWLA right. Teacher of the Year as well. So uh, it's presented to provide another outlet, another media outlet for people to know about the things that are happening in regard. How do they find out about the cadres? The cadres. Uh, we <laughs> also uh, have created these regional cadres that we, are, we have created in collaboration with the regional educational cooperatives. You're going to find information in the World Languages webpage, uh, but all at the Kentucky Department of Education website, but also you're going to find information about these cadres in the uh, regional educational cooperatives webpages. So if you wish to participate, you need to go to the websites of these cooperatives and sign in there. Wonderful. And, and I just want to reiterate, KDE is providing massive amounts of support massive in many different forms. So if you have not visited their website in, in however long, you need to go. So go to the Global Competency page, go to the World Language page, and there's a lot of resources for you. And many of your answers are answered there. And if you'd like to contact either of these people, uh, Alfonso, how might best somebody contact you if they have more questions? Well, uh the good thing is that we are working a lot in the field. So as Kelly said the other day, I think you'd better send us an email. You, uh, you can call, but we're not there. <laughs> you can call, <laughs> but uh, if we cannot answer this project because we are on the field working already, uh, but probably by email. So uh, my email is alfonso.detorresnunez at education.ky.gov. And mine's kelly.clark at education.ky.gov. Wonderful. Thank you both for joining us. Okay, switching our gears again, we're going to our polyglotting news, and it's time for the seal. The seal is coming. It's coming to Kentucky, and I don't mean the animal. I mean the seal of biliteracy, and it's trickling its way into Kentucky. We've got numerous initiatives happening, and there was a session at KWLA conference in which we had a lot of people come, and they joined our state SEAL team. It's unofficial, but we do have a team forming. And if you're still kind of in the dark as to what the SEAL of Biliteracy is, it's basically a means to recognize and honor those students who have achieved a certain level, and it would be a high level, of language proficiency in both English and one other world language, whatever world language they want it to be. It can be adopted by a school, district, or state, and it's officially been adopted by 22 states as of right now, which is phenomenal. So Kentucky does have some groundwork happening, 
If you are interested in joining the state SEAL team, please give me an email, um, laura, L-A-U-R-A dot Roche, R-O-C-H-E, at fayette.kyschools.us, or maybe send Jackie Van Houten an email in Jefferson County Schools, and we'll get you on our uh, list, and there's a lot of communication and a lot of things happening, so I just wanted to let everybody know about that. So now for our partner updates is my wonderful, wonderful co-host, Jean-Marie Rouillet willoughby and Jean-Marie, what's happening with universities and colleges? Well, Laura, as you know, every language program at Kentucky Univer- Kentucky's universities plans a wide variety of cultural and language events and would be happy to have your students participate too. If you want to know what's going on at your area university, check their websites or you can email the department chair. All department chair addresses are on the Outreach Clearinghouse at www.kwla.org slash OCH slash contacts dot SHTML. On the Outreach Clearinghouse site, you'll also find information on teacher resources and professional development and links to all our podcasts. Speaking of professional development, KFLC, the Languages, Literatures, and Cultures Conference, is now accepting proposals for next year's conference. KFLC will be from April 20th to 22nd, 2017, on the UK campus. KFLC, as always, is free to in-service teachers and is an excellent option for professional development. You can find out more about KFLC and the plans at kflc.as.uky.edu. Thank you. And for KWA updates, we have a message from our board. Greetings. We want to thank everyone that joined us for the conference in Louisville last month. We loved the new venue and hope you did as well. For those not in attendance, there were elections for the executive board. The newly elected executive board includes immediate past president Sarah Meredith, president Lucas Gravitt, president-elect Emmanuel Anima Green, or Bo, as many of us know him, Secretary Aggie Mannion, and Treasurer Tanya Coffey. Because of newly elected positions on the board, we had some of the replacements uh, happening and also in the affiliate organizations. So we have new regional reps. Sorry, we have a new regional rep liaison, which is Ben McMain from Fayette County Public Schools. We have new regional reps, and these are Zenaida Smith, and she replaced Gina Newsom. Christopher Anamagreen replacing Emmanuel Anamagreen, and Mary Stevens replacing Aggie Mannion. We look forward to hearing from you with any questions by reaching out by reaching out to us at info at kwla.org. This wraps up our podcast on revisions or updates or clarifications and changes, overhaul to the program reviews. I wish to thank our guests, Kelly Clark and Alfonso de Torres Nunez for joining us and Jean-Marie Rouillet-Willoughby and the University of Kentucky for providing the technology, location, and broadcasting. This is Laura Rocha-Youngworth for Language Talk KWA. Au revoir and happy teaching.